0: The morning show the home team no it's both it's the crossover,
1: crossover. Step back.
0: right here on 960 the all right this is episode 167 of the crossover podcast dave and jeff along with you david johnston from the morning show Jeff Dantzler from the Home Team. Thanks so much for joining us here today. And uh, thanks for uh, you know being a part of the crossover. Of course, the 960 The Ref app, the place to be for your iPhone. You can find us in the App Store and for Android on Google Play. And uh, for those of us that uh, are old-timers, Sometimes we just listen to the old 96. The
1: old 96, and we love the 960 The Ref app. It is clear as a bell. And DJ, with this, the the timing of this, as we record on a Wednesday. I I
0: always like to tell people when we're recording, just to give you a base of what we know and what we don't know.
1: Because things are fluid. Things are definitely fluid. And this
0: is actually Thursday morning, and um, we are now positive that there's oh, yeah, going to be Thursday. Did you say
1: Wednesday? I did. Yeah. It's See, Thursday. we don't even know what Can day it is. Can we start this over? I've got the day wrong. Time time <laughs> yes, it's Thursday morning there. So that means Christmas is a week from tomorrow. And I was thinking about this too. We're just right at two months away from starting baseball season.
0: If it starts yes, on time, we're going to be optimistic. And <laughs> we are indeed. But here's the, the, the cool thing about today is that, well, it's not cool. We do know there's no football game. That wasn't what I was getting at, but we do know Georgia's signing class.
1: It was a terrific class, Dave. I was so excited about it. What jumps out to me, uh, seven of the consensus top ten players in the state signing with Georgia. And amongst the headliners there, Amarius Mims, great offensive line class, a terrific group of uh, front seven defenders, including Smile Mondon, and, of course, uh, the quarterback, Brock Vandegrift, from just down the road.
0: And getting the announcement yesterday that Xavier Sori – uh, another five star had signed on with Georgia yesterday so it was a big win for the dogs i know there were a couple of names that were out there yesterday it was kind of a other than getting sorry that mm-hmm. was really good kind of an uneventful day i know georgia did lose this is kind of interesting too. uh the the young man they call nugget mm-hmm. who ends up signing with jackson state Dion. so Dion sanders making a a push there as the new head coach and look i and I think what uh, what the young man said was something, you know, hey, I got a chance to help one of the HBCUs and, uh, you know, I, I hope uh, and wish him nothing but the best. Now, George is going to be a little bit thin <laughs> at his position, so we may see how things go in the, the transfer portal or maybe someone they sign in February. So still some work to do for this class, but right now a consensus – with the 24 7 sports composite, the number three class in the nation behind Alabama and Ohio State, who put together some really, really good classes. I did want to ask you if you saw, I think it was yesterday, where they have granted now uh, basically you can just transfer without sitting out. So that's going to uh, affect things again. So the, the transfer portal will be in full swing. And this is going to help teams, going to hurt teams. But if you're at a position of need and somebody
1: wants to come play for you, I guess you can get them. Uh, I, I know that that's a dangerous precedent, and, and I don't know, DJ. You probably do. Is this just a one-year thing because of 2020? Uh, you know, is this the type of thing that's going to be permanent? Because that, that's just bad news as it is. Because uh, then you you have to focus on re-recruiting guys, and, and the first time. Uh, somebody gets unhappy, you have to worry about that. So uh, I'm just saying for the sake of the game, I don't think that's a good idea. And and obviously things do change, and you don't want to point fingers of blame anywhere in general. But, man, that's just uh, putting you in a situation where it could be the wild, wild west. And that's that's scary. It is. You're right.
0: And, again, there will be teams that will get – hurt badly by this there will be other teams that will um you know that'll certainly take advantage of it the story came out last night and again we're recording this on a on a thursday the ncaa's division one cancel is granted blanket waivers for all athletes to play immediately the announcement includes all d1 sports but is contingent on certain criteria everything's contingent on certain right, criteria right. So transfers previously were required to sit out a season unless granted a waiver. The NCAA had decided on waivers on a case-by-case basis but had been more lenient as the coronavirus pandemic depleted rosters. And basically the decision should have an immediate impact on basketball with some uh, transfers becoming eligible immediately. Uh, So this is one of those, I guess, where uh, you're going to see transfers – now it does say transfers must already be enrolled full time at the current school for the 2020 fall term and it must be their first transfer from a four-year school.
1: So basically it sounds like they're giving you one opt-out. you get the freebie, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's uh yeah. it's it, it's a big time game changer and we'll see how that plays out. And in general I think it'll probably both help and hurt uh, you know for smaller schools. You might get in the situation like I know my buddy Robbie Kirk uh, who went to Presbyterian? They had a really good player who came in and it was, it was just out of nowhere, averaged twenty something a game. Then he winds up transferring to Baylor because he he went out Presbyterian, goes out to UCLA, and he scores thirty at Pauley Pavilion. Now all of a sudden it's hard for the smaller schools to keep guys. Yeah. Now, of course, from Georgia's standpoint, you're thinking, okay, you know, maybe can we get a Reek Gilbert to come in? And does that mean he's eligible right away? But that type of thing it giveth and it taketh away. And my goodness, all the moving parts right now, I can't imagine what uh, coaches are going through trying to to get that roster set. And, you know, college athletics has undergone so much change here lately. Uh, One area where you do feel confident with Georgia, though, is that Kirby Smart is a master with roster management. Got to be. I mean,
0: in sports now, your bean counters – They're the most important people on your team, and that's what you have to be in college sports, especially football. Managing the eighty-five, you got to be a master of that. And we have seen Kirby do that too. And and uh, you know, there's always going to be a point where you might be down a scholarship or two temporarily. You just can't
1: be down twelve scholarships. That's a
0: self-imposed.
1: Yeah, and we had a couple of those years. We were sitting around 68. I kind of like being in, and I think a lot of coaches do like being around 82, Mm -hmm. maybe 83. That way, if there is a wriggler, sure. Or or if there's a a Rodrigo Blankenship or a Veron Haynes that comes on the scene. So I I think as long as you're over 80. You know, and by the way, that's a good point you make there, too. You know, what's good
0: publicity for your school is when they show the proverbial. Uh, coach giving the walk on a scholarship in front of the team and everybody Mm -hmm. cheers and goes crazy that's great publicity for your school
1: well it certainly is so I think that's another reason that you know 81 82 I think is a is a good number because it does give you some flexibility but you you definitely don't want to be down in the 70s and you certainly again one of those teams we had was around 68 scholarship players (laughs) and you just put yourself on probation I mean it's it's, it's nuts when that happens. But Kirby uh, has been so good at the roster management, and uh, we certainly have the nucleus of a terrific class uh, coming in for next year. And now, and, and especially this year, DJ, because of not having the official visits, you know, a vast majority of players have gone ahead and signed, e- even more yep. than than we've seen the previous few years. And, and so now, I mean, could there still be somebody out there maybe – but it, it kind of sounds like maybe looking at that that transfer portal might be where Georgia goes next. And, you know, that, that depth on the defensive line is going to be an issue. And the other spot that you brought up, cornerback, you know, I think we're assuming that Stokes and Campbell will probably leave. You know, hopefully Jordan Davis comes back. Could Wyatt and Rochester decide to take advantage of that play in mm-hmm. your senior year? There's a lot that has to be played out. And, and I think another uh, – area where college football's gotten it wrong I, I like the original signing date in February and part of that too and again just for the for, for the good of the game and looking at it from a, a, a coach's standpoint and a team standpoint I liked it better in February as well because it was the linear situation. And you knew what you had coming back because, you know, usually you had your season, you had your bowl game, and then players determined if they were going pro or not. And then you had signing day. Well, the fact that you have signing day before players announce. Yep. Boy, you talk about trying, yeah, that's trying to thing. balance the scales there. And you hard still have do. another
0: signing day after
1: that, but it's not the same thing. No, it's not. It's not. So, you know, Georgia, like everybody else, like all the powerhouse schools, you, you, you've signed your guys, and now you wait and see. Who leaves and who stays and then that's where you then maybe you start peeking at that portal after that. So it's I, I I just think from a from a timeline standpoint, this makes it a lot more difficult.
0: Do you have a guy or two in this recruiting class and the signing class that you really really like um other than you know obviously you like them all are right. there a couple in there that? You might have seen some tape on or you might have heard some things about that uh, kind of get you excited. Because we we're talking about, so like when I look at the list, it's like there's Javon Bullard who's listed as a cornerback. There's a David Daniel who is uh, obviously out of Woodstock. Very, very good player. There's Nylon Green. I know everybody's mm-hmm. really excited about him. Kamari Lasseter. You know, you're talking about some potential DBs. Do they play corner? Do they play safety? Do you know? Do we know? Is that something that's got to be you know if you sign the athlete and then of course the linebackers outside inside that kind of stuff defensive ends so there's a you know a lot of um I guess you know with the meat and potatoes I think that's what I like as much about this class is and something you said yesterday too if it were a draft you would have for a lot of these you have drafted for just best player available and see how that fits in
1: no, I agree with you, D.J., and that was the thing. I think six of the first seven commitments were linemen, and yeah. we love seeing that, getting the big uglies in there. Uh, and, and I feel like the positions that were strongest uh, for Georgia were offensive line, um, linebacker, and that defensive front. Uh, you mentioned David Daniel. We always like to, when we see players kind of – uh, compare them to guys that have been through or, or maybe some pros. And and I think Daniel will project to play Richard LeCount's position. I'd heard with Smile Monden uh, that he, he's got an Adam Anderson-type body, and so probably he'll be on the outside along with Xavier Sori. Uh, I love getting TID to add to, to Marlon Dean and Jonathan Jefferson on that D-line class. But I, I think the, the O-line in particular – was so strong. Uh, Marius Mims, a top player in the state, and I was just reading up some stuff on him. He likes to fish. Michael Morris from down in Camden County, much like us, uh, taking all of the the AP classes, GPA over 4.0, b- very good track and field athlete as well.
0: What is this 4.0 thing
1: you speak I, I, of? I, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's like the secret menu at some restaurants. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then with Dylan Fairchild a state championship wrestler and Jared Wilson he could be that uh, that you know when, when you sign so many highly touted guys it's hard to find that quote unquote uh, uh, sleeper there but Wilson's a guy who is also a multi-sport athlete from North Carolina who uh, I know the coaches are very very high on and and a lot of this is going to come down to and, and it could certainly take two or three years just to how good Brock Vandegrift is mm-hmm. um, but you know, again, Kirby's recruiting philosophy. I like it, and we certainly hit that this year. You're trying to get good players at every position every year. That's why love we signed. <laughs> Is a that
0: le- do it, does any school not have that philosophy? I, well, sometimes
1: you know you'll see. Oh, we signed seven defensive backs yeah, this year. Right. All right, well, well, we got four what? quarterbacks. Well, three of them ain't playing. Yeah. And you get seven DBs. Three or four of them are going to be gone within a year or mm-hmm. two. So uh, I like the balance of this class. Certainly, um, getting eleven guys on defense. I mean, literally you could field a three-four-four defense off of Georgia's signees, off of what the dogs signed there. I love it. And I love the O-line class. I think the other thing it did, DJ and uh, Matt Luke, was just a grand slam hire for Georgia. When you look at the way, with all that Georgia lost on the offensive line, the way the line has played this year, and now Georgia's stacked up back-to-back outstanding classes so why yes we're very excited about this o-line coming in let's not forget when spring and next season rolls around now you'll get to see broderick jones and and tate ratledge and that whole group that signed last
0: year yeah i know that's the thing i mean you had those guys you mentioned jones mentioned uh ratledge keely ringo Mm -hmm. um i guess uh the big o i call mr washington although he played he played a decent amount but uh You know, some guys from last year that didn't see a whole lot of snaps. Well, that's that's exactly
1: right. It's hard to do. That are five-star, you know, high four-star guys. Big time. And that's where a lot of times you see that second season explosion. I mean, I know – just think about the running back position, you know, where, where there, there are not a ton of carries to go around. Georgia's had so many outstanding backs. But we saw the flashes from Kenny McIntosh last year. Then he played mm-hmm. good in the Sugar Bowl. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you are know, like, boy, this guy's really, really good. So, yeah, we all get excited about the freshman, as we should. And I think at Georgia there's an extra dose of that because of what happened with number 34 in 1980. But usually it is, when you're thinking about those blue chippers, it's usually those second-year guys that kind of hit, that yeah. got their feet wet. So it's the, almost
0: like the, the coach in his second year seems to have right. a, a big push. And same thing happened to Kirby. Um, with this season and looking ahead to 21 and uh, where Georgia was, I know the dogs were beat up in that Florida game, but I mean the, the, first, the first half of the season, the, the position that hurt Georgia the most was the quarterback position. And that seems to have been solidified right now with JT Daniel. So looking ahead to 21 and specifically that Clemson game, do you like where Georgia stands in every position now just because of the quarterback situation?
1: I think the offense has a chance to be really dynamic, and a lot of this is going to come back to something we've talked about a ton, player retention, Jamari Sawyer. Trey Hill, Aziz Ojalari, Jordan Davis, Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes, how many of those guys come back? If the answer's none, you've probably got 10-2 and two as a ceiling. Mm-hmm. If it's more than half, I think George is in play for the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would be, I think, corner in particular, if, if we lose both Stokes and Campbell, then you're talking about that's a lot to put on – Ringo, can you find somebody? Maybe would DJ Daniel choose to come back for another senior year? You know, is Jalen Kimber ready? Could one of the freshmen help? Tyreek Stevenson, he's more of that, that rover type guy. And then, I mean, the defensive line to me, when Jordan Davis is in there at nose tackle, it makes a huge difference. It's not a, it's not a coincidence. Larry Roundtree had 14 carries for 16 yards, and Jordan Davis's first game back. Wonder why that is. So I look out there at one point and and I, I'm I'm all for playing the front line guys as much as possible. And I look out there, our D line. We got Davis on the nose, Trayvon Walker and Jalen Carter at tackle, and Aziz Ojulari's lining up at end. Like that is that is a tremendous, that's solid. Yes, de- defensive front right there. So how many of those guys come back and and, and Salier, who who literally now has shown he can play every position on the offensive line. I mean, I, I thought in the South Carolina game in particular, he was just incredible. So I'm sure that's somebody the pros are going to like a lot. You know, as he's thinking, hey, I'm going to come back, play left tackle again. And then you're talking about having Salyer and McClendon, who remember when McClendon moved into that right tackle spot in the second half of the Arkansas game, that made a big difference. I thought Warren Erickson played very well against Missouri as well. And It might even be a deal where he's the center next year, even if Hill came back, maybe Hill – would play a guard. But, DJ, I just have confidence Matt Luke's going to put a good line out there. Then I think at receiver, running back, and quarterback, and tight end, you have to feel excellent about where Georgia is. Yeah. And then the defense is just all going to come right. down to who comes who back. Who comes back. Yeah. But ultimately, you got to be able to score points. you got to be able to
0: score. And that was a struggle early on this it year. Was. It was. It was. I mean, and I know you can say by level of competition, that kind of thing, but – it seemed to be a lot easier. And and uh, a guy like George Pickens, it's just what he can do and just being able to change a game. And in the Missouri game this past weekend, your favorite, one of my favorites, the old two for none. The two for none. And what a great catch that was by Pickens at the end of the first half. Georgia had a free play, and he still – what looked like an impossible catch there. And then it turns in from being a, a tie game following the block punt to suddenly 28-14. to
1: 14. No doubt about it. And I think a couple of things just looking forward that you saw that, that Georgia hadn't been great at this year. On the touchdown to Pickens on, on the slant to start the second half, that was clearly a play that Daniels checked into mm-hmm. at the line because Missouri was trying to overload with pressure. And then once Pickens caught that, there was no catching him. And the TD DJ that he threw to Cook in the first half, uh, that was a check down. And I think one of the things that we saw in those two throws that was so great on those two touchdowns that kind of hit you when you saw how much more advanced Alabama and Florida's passing attacks were when we played them, that those throws are hitting those receivers in stride on the run. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was one of the things on those two that Cook and Pickens caught it. That ball's a few inches out in front of them. You know, where, where they're able to, to catch it, extending right. their hands, not too far, but just a little bit, and then, boom, they're catching that thing on the dead run so they don't have to downshift at all. And that's one of the things I think that Alabama is so good at. Is I mean, when they make the throw, it's there, and those receivers are catching it in stride on the dead run. And that was the biggest thing I saw out of the passing game last week.
0: So no game this Saturday. Which is just incredible. We we've kind of beat that horse enough, Uh, (laughs) so we'll just we'll just kind of move right along. The bowl season coming up, and there was supposed to be a bowl game on Saturday, along with all these other conference championship (laughs) games, but it's been coveted out the uh, the Frisco Bowl, I believe. So no game there. One thing is interesting: Virginia Tech is not going bowling. They have announced that they're not going bowling. They're five and six, but they could have gone. Everybody's eligible. That means Georgia now has the longest active bowl streak. This will be numbered, I think, 24 in a row. Yeah, going back for Georgia. to 97. Yes, yeah. yes. So this will be, so, and I think
1: Oklahoma's two years behind Georgia.
0: So the Bulldogs have a little, little streak going here.
1: Yeah, that that's impressive there. And the, the one that stings for me, that loss to Central Florida in 2010, that's the only losing season mm-hmm. we've had. Since '97, Yeah, going back to Coach Don in second year, we've been to a bowl every year, and that's something you want to keep rolling yeah. and going. Uh, and I think that does show some consistency. And a, and a big thing about the program, and listen, as much as anybody, I, you know, I think about those three games against Alabama and Dome Stadiums in Atlanta in the <laughs> 2010s every minute of every day and you know how close we came in 07 and 02 and 03, but – uh, I, I think one big thing for Georgia that we can be proud of, and Dave, that stat you brought up I, I think reflects that, is really going back to Coach Don in second year, 1997, you can probably count on one hand the number of times we went into a Saturday saying we just don't have a chance today. Mm-hmm. Now there, There's some where you knew it was going to be an uphill battle. But you know, you, you think like maybe the say the 2010 Auburn game or the 09 Florida game. There are very very few of those that we've at least had that hope going into every game. Like we got a chance today, and there is a lot to be said for that. We we haven't had that cratering out of a of a four and eight, and a lot of schools have, including Alabama. You know, but between Stallings and and Saban, you know, Florida has had a couple of four-win seasons there. I mean, Auburn had that 3-9. and nine. Tennessee, they well, just had a terrible decade. LSU, before Saban got there, they had a losing record 8 out of 11 years. Now, Can I you do didn't th- even imagine that. I, I know. It just doesn't even make sense. It, it, that's exactly right. And does that go back to, like, Curly Hallman? Yeah, Curly yeah. Hallman at the end of Mike Archer, Jerry DiNardo. Yeah. I mean, LSU to me is the pro- – in the 21st century, and I know everything Bama's done with Saban, but, but prior to that, they – they had a lot of tough years. LSU, I think, is the program that has done the best of combining the consistency and the championships. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they've had a rough year this year. Of course, it's in the the wake of winning the whole thing, and they just got a big win. You know, LSU's always going to be good, but I think that's something we can be very proud of there to have the longest active bowl streak. I think going. it's, yeah, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a selling point. It is, for sure.
0: Just throw a, another SEC championship on there and a national title and, Those are good selling points also.
1: Yeah, and I I think – you know, one thing for next year is presumably Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields are all going to be gone. Yep. So, you just – there might be a little bit of an opening. Like, I I mean, I – Yeah, although Lawrence is
0: back up at Clemson. That that guy looks awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, yeah, but it's – you know, that, now that's where I think too. When you look at at Oklahoma, since their tough start, they've that they've returned to form. So at some point, you got to develop a guy, and that's where I think you know with Georgia now with J T. Daniels to go along with the Bulldogs' running game. You know, to me, those are two schools that have been contenders that you know most likely are going to miss out on the playoff this year, but will probably be you know, firmly in the mix for next year. Then meanwhile you know, Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State will all be breaking in new quarterbacks. Although, like you were saying, DJ, U-E-A-E, ukulele. Mm-hmm. But he looks like it was like Deshaun, Trevor. He looks like 3.0 for Clemson.
0: Yeah, he does. He looks terrific. Yeah.
1: Those are good players. Good players leave. Good players replace them. Gotta have <laughs> Funny those, how that works. Those air apparent. And that's why I think, when again, looking back to uh, signing day, you know, what we were able to do on the O-line and linebacker in particular was big. And now you're, you're talking about, too, on on the defensive line, and a lot of it's been forced on us with injuries. But, you know, we've gotten a lot of snaps for guys like Zion Logue and, and Warren Brinson and Nazir Stackhouse. Now you got three more coming in. And we're off to a very good start recruiting for 2022. Mm-hmm. Tyree West from Tifton County, the headliner, but five in-state guys there. Uh, two defensive linemen, so you're you're definitely seeing Georgia build up that depth and, and keep it going on the line of scrimmage, because for many years, we all know some of Coach Rick's best teams, we were tremendous at the skill positions, but just didn't quite match up in the trenches, and I think that's no longer the case.
0: Play a little map game here with you with our signees, and uh, you love the fact that that uh, the, uh, I think 13 of the 20 are in-state guys. And um, no one's probably going to argue that Brock Bowers from mm-hmm. Napa, his hometown probably brings in the strongest uh, credentials of, well, of we, we uh, we what both, you might think of.
1: We both like the Vino de Rojas. <laughs> yes, so, yes. yes, we do. So if Brock ever wants us to do a remote show out there <laughs> with his family, we're ready.
0: Yes, and it's uh, interesting too. So we were tr- I, on the morning show, I was trying to figure out – of the Signees in their hometowns, there's not a like a giant town. Mm-hmm. You've got Savannah for Kamari Lassiter. That might be the biggest town of the of the Signees, and I'll go through them. There's Milledgeville. Yeah. There's Warrenton. Yeah. There's Carrollton. There's Woodstock. There's Bowman, which is uh, just around the corner over in Elbert County. There's Hyattsville, Maryland, which we looked up. That's actually technically that's a small town. I think it. I don't know where where it is specifically, but I think it's probably a suburb of. Is it D.C. or maybe Baltimore, I'm not sure. Yeah. Baltimore, yeah. Uh, there's Cumming. There's yeah. Covington. There's Gaffney, South Carolina. There's Douglasville. There's Phoenix City, Alabama, which by the way, that's a good get right out there from yep. under Auburn. There's Cochran. There's Missouri City, Texas. Uh, which we looked that one up, and I believe that's a suburb of Houston. That's okay. a Donnie a. Mitchell, who we thought I thought he was from Tennessee, but now his
1: he moved. His I address
0: is listed as te- Missouri City, Texas. There's da- oh, da- oh wait Dallas, Georgia, Dallas, G- Paulding yeah. County, Paulding County for uh, Mister. Monden. There's Kingsland. Now you've been to Kingsland a few times, I guess, or yeah. many times, that's not a few camp- times. It's Camden, Camden County. County, yeah, Campbellton, Florida,
1: Bogart, <laughs> and uh, Winston Salem, North Carolina. Wow. That's it. That's a great pull there, DJ. I I did not think about that. And I've always said there's no athlete like the small-town southern athlete. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's not a whole lot else to do, which is a good thing. That might be why I like this class so much. I I, I do, too. And, you know, one of the things, too, that's interesting, and I I think it says so much because we know how huge high school is in these small towns. I grew up in Statesboro. You went to a powerhouse Spartanburg yep. High School. It's so big, and I think with that, you're getting really good coaching there. One of the things that's unusual in Georgia is that there's just as good a chance of getting somebody from a town like Cordell or Cochran or Moultrie as there is out of, say, Savannah or Augusta. Like our Some of our yep. bigger towns don't turn out the, the players that, that some of the smaller ones do.
0: Well, if someone says to you, hey, I've got a guy uh, that, that uh, you might want to look at from Warrenton," you would just say, okay, I, I'm, I'm interested.
1: In. I'm in because that kid <laughs> yeah. grew up. And I just think about, you know, Herschel Walker's a kid yeah. uh, tying a rope around his waist and, and tying the other end of it, a tractor tire and running through a field. Exactly. That's what I think about. And some of the great athletes that, that I grew up around and, and watching – and I mean we'll think about like tennis. I mean, Al Parker's from Claxton, Georgia. Exactly. And you know, just when we were coming up, Dave, you think about this, those are golden era. Herschel was from Wrightsville, Georgia. Bo Jackson was from Bessemer, Alabama, Charles Barkley was from Leeds, Alabama, Michael Jordan was from Wilmington. Dominique was from Washington, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So you you just had this Jake Worthy was what, from Gastonia, Gastonia, is that right? Yeah. You you just had this this enormous array. Of phenomenal athletes that were all from these small towns. I mean, Wilmington's a metropolis compared, compared to the that, rest yeah. of those. Yeah.
0: By the way, something you just mentioned. So, uh, help me see. You got to help me with this. All right. So, Al Parker from Claxton. Claxton yes. Paul Claxton, the golfer from Vidalia. Right. But
1: he's connected
0: to the Claxton
1: fruitcakes. He married Al's cousin, <laughs> whose name Paula. Okay. Claxton. Oh wow now wait claxton. a minute say that again she was paula parker and she's now paul paula paul. claxton so you got paul and paula claxton. and they live in Clacks. yes <laughs> and he's from vidalia but
0: he's from vidalia there'll be a quiz later this is crazy and <laughs> i love paul. he's great oh he's one of the yeah. best guys ever yeah, yeah. His,
1: his uh yeah so that's al's cousin okay. paula so they're yeah. all
0: connected to the <laughs> to the fruit fruitcake. Cake. okay yes. yeah and i Not wild, it's just crazy.
1: (laughs) So, you got you got a Paul being from the onion town, and then Paula being from uh the fruitcake town, and one's a great tennis
0: player, and one's a great golfer.
1: There you go. And probably Al's probably good at golf, too. For all he is, yeah, Yeah, sure. All those guys are good at both. (laughs) It's for you know, those baseball players and tennis players who are great, Mm they just it's that hand Mm eyed And they've said, too, I've never played with any, but. I've had friends tell me that the, the best players in the NHL are phenomenal golfers. Oh, yeah. I could see that. But is, does Manny ever play golf? I don't think so. He probably would be good and, if he did. And I know you've talked to him and had this conversation. Baseball was his first love growing mm-hmm. up because he loved Orlando Cepeda and Roberto Clemente. Sure. There are so many great players from Puerto Rico. And, and that was, so he was kind of back and forth between baseball or tennis. And, Which I mean, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, but obviously he settled in and made a great choice there. Made a great choice. Made a great with, choice. With tennis, but I'm sure he – you know, that's the thing for the great ones. I guarantee you he'd have been a great center fielder too. hmm Yeah. he was you're a good, be good athlete at – Whatever. You can
0: be probably
1: really good at a lot of stuff, but you can be great at something. That's exactly right. And that's why when you do see the guys do, you know, what Herschel was able to do in football and track and bow with football and baseball, cause, and especially now just with – the, the the sports pretty much being year round with the work you're putting in, it's just rare to see. Remember, DJ, we, we would always have a guy or two kind of we would call it a freebie on the baseball team who played football. That mm-hmm. doesn't count against you, right? You, you just don't see it's that. Very too much hard to do now. You know.
0: Yeah, which is funny you mentioned this. Are a couple of things before we get on out of here. Um, speaking of football and baseball, happy 99th birthday to Charlie Trippy. Look,
1: can I can I throw this yes. out there real quick yes. on him? Three bowl MVPs. You know, he left for the war after we won the, the Rose Bowl. Comes back uh, midway through the '45 season. He's the Oil Bowl MVP. Then bats 464 for the baseball team. Uh, then wins the Maxwell Award. Finishes second in the Heisman. Leads us to an 11 and 0 record. Uh, And then that that summer after that of 47, uh, he led the Southern Association in batting, playing for the Atlanta Crackers, and then was the NFL Rookie of the Year, led the Cardinals to what is still their last championship. And
0: if I remember correctly, too, his contract or signing bonus or whatever it was, like the largest at the time, too. So, I mean, this was a guy – that wasn't just known to Georgia people. I mean, he was a, you know, he was a national name. And Coach
1: McGill told me once that the the Yankees were really hot and heavy. They felt, uh, DiMaggio's last year was nineteen fifty one that he had the potential to succeed DiMaggio in center field. I, it's it's and, amazing. That turned out to be Mickey Mantle. But so they and
0: when in in Mr. Trippy, the last time I talked to him, we were talking about the the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the College Football Hall of Fame, and he. Also said, do not forget that I was in the very first class in 1978, which included Joe DiMaggio and Vince Lombardi. I think Dom DiMaggio was in that too, of the
1: Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame. That That is a great honor. When you're talking about being with DiMaggio and Lombardi, that says it all. It's but terrific. the thing too, when when he, pro football just was not that big mm-hmm. on the national scope when he got into it. But he was widely considered. I even remember the first Georgia game I ever went to. We, we lost to Clemson in 81. I had aunts that were huge Clemson fans from Abbeville, South Carolina. And, and one of my great aunts told my Aunt Millie, said, I know you love Herschel, and he's great. But that Charlie Trippy's the best I've ever seen. And a lot of people have said that. And this is not a knock on Frank
0: Sinquich, but mm. he might get a little bit more notoriety because he won a Heisman and Charlie sure. Trippie didn't. But I think in the the annals of where you would put – the legends of Georgia, of course. There's Herschel, and then there's there's also Charlie Trippy. Again, Frank Sinkwich, one of the all time greats too. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes it gets a little lost with Charlie Trippy because he didn't win the Heisman.
1: I, I think that's a great point, and one of the things I asked Coach McGill about this, and he said Sinkwich was probably. And again, you're talking about. I always go back. Uh, do you like El McPherson, Christy Brinkley, or Kathy Ireland better? Okay, which of your swimsuit models yeah. from the '80s do you like better? <laughs> But the coach said, you know, Sinkwich was probably a little bit better runner, and and he set some passing records, as, as did Trippy, and and Trippy was probably the better all around because he punted and also was a great mm-hmm. safety. So mm-hmm. again, they were both phenomenal. Um, but yeah, so Sinkwich was probably a little bit better offensively, and Trippy was a little bit better all around. Yeah. But again, you're. You're splitting, splitting hairs. hairs, and the fact They're that I mean they, they were together on that forty-two team, and then as we always throw out there, uh, w- one of the, I guess you say lesser-known legends is, is Johnny Roush, who played forty-five and forty-six with Trippy, and he was for years. I think somebody from Michigan might have done it in the nineties. I don't know somebody like an Elvis Gerbach or something, but for decades he was the only quarterback that started four bowl games because then not long after yeah, that they true. made freshmen the eligible. And when his career was over, um, he was the NCAA's all-time passing leader. Johnny Roush yeah. was. And uh, I mean, he, he was just a, a tremendous, tremendous player. He was also the coach of the Oakland Raiders in Super Bowl II. Isn't that, isn't that wild? But he uh, – but Johnny, now, there have been players who were who were on two SEC championship teams at quarterback, like DJ Shockley was a starter in 05 and was David Green's backup in 02. John Lastinger obviously was a backup to Buck Belue. But Buck and, uh, and and John was a starter in '82 when we won it. But Buck and Johnny Roush are the only starting quarterbacks to win two to SEC win two
0: championships. SEC championships for Georgia. Yeah. All right. One more thing before we go, and I'm going to have a little bit of fun with this. We can't have a podcast without at least one little golf nugget. Oh gosh, gotcha. yeah. Congratulations, Starman Harris English, who picked up a victory. I need to text either Steve Clawkwood or Coach Hack about. How this works, so Harris English, uh, this past weekend down in Florida, was a winner at the um, what they call the I guess now that it used to be called maybe the Templeton Shootout now it's the QBE Shootout. Okay, that's a good thing. Do you know where I'm going with this? No. Nope. Okay, his partner was Matt Kucher. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, Harris and Matt Coocher won the QBE Shootout. Over the weekend, and they, what well, man, they annihilated the. Fee. They went thirty-seven under this, to break the a, mark of thirty-four under.
1: I'm guessing they're just played They just played best ball. It was.
0: Something? I think they. It rotated. Like,
1: so from a four ball to an alternate. Yeah, I yeah, believe
0: okay. so. I, got you. I believe so. 37 but anyway, under. thirty-seven under and they won by. I don't want to. I want to say uh, they won by nine shots. Good Lord. So, um, they. And I, I may be wrong. Did Brendan Todd play with Horschel? And I, and I say this in jest because we love those guys. It's like, hey, how come Harris and Brendan couldn't play together? No
1: doubt, get the
0: Georgia guys together. I know, and they're look. It's it's totally different. I understand that, but I wanted to give Harris a shout out because um, he has really, really come. Ooh. come back from the ashes, like the phoenix. Like the phoenix rising, rising from the lay
1: stall. Into the everlasting yeah, and, and, so, and he finished fourth at the U.S. Open, so he'll be in the Masters. And, you know, what impressed me so much, his first shot at the U.S. Open mm-hmm. is a lost ball. Wouldn't
0: have been in a regular year. Was not,
1: because they're, they're fans yes. out there, and they couldn't find it. The fact that he still went out there and played solid, because how many guys? I mean, I'm talking about all-time greats who would have gone out there and shot something like 86. Because you're probably thinking yep. in your head, "Well, I've lost the tournament already." Mm-hmm. But he was able to keep his composure and and getting that top five in the U.S. Open uh, got him in. But one of the things about our Georgia guys and Coach Hack and and deserves so much credit for instilling that bulldog fight. You know, whether it's Kisner, Henley, Brendan yep. Todd, Harris English. We've seen all those guys when, when your your career takes an, a natural little swale there, and it happens to everybody. You know, not named yeah. Nicholas Watson Woods. You know, you, you name it, it happens. But when these guys come back, when they get hot, they cash in. They, they get wins. They get top tens. They're in the final groupings, the front page of the leaderboard. And, and I think that that's one thing you've got to do because there's so many guys out there, DJ, that when when you, when the sun is shining on you, you got to get as much as you can while you can, and our guys do that. They they're great at it. Great finishers. Great mm-hmm. closers. By the way, the other
0: pairing that I thought was interesting was Bubba was playing with Louis Oosthuizen.
1: Oh, cool! How weird is yeah, that? Going back to 2012. How about that? <laughs> to the shot heard around the world. And it was funny too because a hacker was talking about that, and he said. You, you know, when I saw Bubba there, you know, like, oh, he's in trouble. Like, this was right in his wheelhouse. He got <laughs> yeah. to play that natural hook. Thing. You know, his
0: brain just started. Like, oh, this is just, great. Yeah. Everything just started coming into place for him, I'm sure, when he got around that ball. Oh, I can do this. I mean, yeah, he was probably. It
1: around the trees. I mean, in all seriousness for him, the way he likes to play, he would have probably rather been there than the middle of the fairway. Because mm-hmm. you know the oh, shot, yeah. you got to play. And he's like, man, I've been doing this my whole life. It's set up <laughs> perfect.
0: That was phenomenal. It Really was. But I thought that was interesting that they that's were great playing pull. together. All right, Jeff. This has been fun. This Always. has been the uh the pre-Christmas yes, Christmas sir. edition of ho, ho, ho. of the that's right, of the uh, of the crossover. What do we say episode 167? A, yes, sir. You can tell like, from 30 minutes ago. I've already forgotten actually 40 minutes ago. We uh, went a little bit long, but I wanted to talk about Charlie Trippy too. Oh, just man. love the the legend of 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 Mr. Trippy and just Everything he represents.
1: Well, and, and just to, I'll throw one more. Coach yeah. McGill told me one of the greatest plays he ever made. Obviously, these games weren't on TV, but in '46 we beat Alabama 14 nothing. We were both in the top ten, and um, was, back in those days, you, know, you would punt on third down a lot. Well, that he punted on third down, and Alabama blocked it. it looked like they were going to scoop it up and score a touchdown. Well, he fought, Coach because He fought off three Alabama players. And got the ball back, so wow. we got to punt so again. So got another down. Yeah, and then wow. we lined up, keeping them out of the end zone again. We won that game fourteen nothing. But those are just the, the types of plays that are uh, uh, might just be footnotes in history. But so
0: that's how, so you know what that's interesting. So if you punt it on third down and it got blocked, and the other team never possessed it, you yeah. got fourth so down. Your
1: ball, yeah. You presu- now if they picked it up and started running, yeah, behind, yeah. Sure. yeah, that's the thing yeah.
0: behind the line of scrimmage. But yeah. if they pick it up and start running with it, then it's a Change of possession right, at that point. Right. But, wow. I
1: mean, isn't that crazy though? Yeah. I mean, you talk about plays like that, and I have seen the film of him with uh, from from the forty seven Sugar Bowl there, and he set the Sugar Bowl right through a sixty seven yard touchdown pass in that game, and you know had a, incredible MVP of three bowl games.
0: Incredible MVP of three bowl games.
1: Is that good? Whenever we're with him, <laughs> including a Rose hey. and a Sugar, these three
0: guys <laughs> combined to win. <laughs> three bowl games, win MVP of three bowl games. Jeff enjoyed it. Hope oh, yes. you have a uh, have yes, a great sir, weekend. Friends. Thanks so much for joining us here on the crossover podcast. Again, in the uh, in the App Store for iPhone and uh, Google Play for Android. Of course, the great 960 the ref app. It's got everything that uh, you could possibly want here for anything with 960 the ref. He's Jeff Dantzler from the home team. I'm David Johnston. I think I know my name. I'm David Johnston from The Morning Show. Thanks so much. I know, exactly. This has been the Crossover Podcast. Thanks for joining us here on 960 The Ref and the 960 The Ref app. You've been listening to The Crossover on 960theref.com.